Hi, I'm Han. And I'm Sheree. You're listening to It Just Got Real. And whoa, did it ever really get real this week? How are you doing, Sheree? I feel like the how are you doing question, it's like the fire brain emoji. Like that's like, like every time someone <laughs> asks me that question this week, I feel like the literal fire brain emoji. I'll put it this way. My real moment of the week is that even in the middle of a global pandemic, Black people are not allowed to be human. Like we are not treated with the most basic amount of humanity. And it doesn't matter if we're, you know, watching birds in Central Park and asking someone not to be a jerk, or if we're, you know, complying with police officers and repeatedly screaming for our lives for nearly six minutes or going for a jog. I definitely was in this like moment where I sort of felt like the whole world is like experiencing this moment together. And there was something reassuring about that. Mm. And after this week, I was just like, nope, 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 nope. We're still in the less than human bucket because we just can't seem to be able to exist at the same way as everybody else. Obviously, at the most horrific levels, that's George Floyd being murdered. And I'm going to go out and say it, not by one police officer in Minneapolis, but by four. And at the most minute level, it's the continuous collateral damage that Black people have to internalize from these incidents and then, like, keep on keeping on in your day-to-day, in your conversations with your kids, in your, like, trying to explain to my 11-year-old what happened. And his question was just like, I don't understand. Like, I was trying to ask him how he feels, and he just kept going, like, I mean, if they're the police, why would they, you know, like, this is 11-year-old real logic. Yeah. And which brings us back to the question of how are you doing? Impossible to answer. I mean, the reality is I am angry. Yes. I am frustrated because I'm not surprised. It even frustrates me when I hear people say, I can't believe this because it makes me be like, what fucking America are you fucking living in that you can't believe this? This shit is always happening all the fucking time. So what do you mean you can't believe it? Like, what are you doing in your life that you are in a state of disbelief? Yeah. (laughs) So there's that. (laughs) I mean, the default these days should just be like the opposite of disbelief. It was like when this happened this week, the first thing that happened, I saw a name on Twitter. And it was like you mentioned to me a few weeks ago, the very first thought that crossed my mind was like, oh God, a black person's been murdered. And then I clicked on it and sure enough. And like, why is that even like, why is that the default thought? Exactly. And the fact that you knew as a white woman by way of Canada, (laughs) 
you knew enough about the American system that your instinct told you that this was now normative here. Enough that hashtag a black sounding name meant somebody probably died in a way they weren't supposed to. And I think that like. It's not something that we should accept. And it's something just awful about this country. I was thinking about the duality of this week's event, right? So you had sort of the, in some ways, more commonplace form of racism and white supremacy, which was, quote unquote, Karen Mm. in Central Park. And I remember watching that video and thinking back even to my childhood and thinking about the instances where a white girl in a childhood classroom would just be like overly dramatic about Mm. maybe a disagreement we had Mm -hmm. and how that led me to getting in trouble more than her, Mm. you know? And so it's like watching this woman in Central Park, literally, she knows. Oh, she totally knows. And she weaponized her knowledge of how racist this country is and how being black is perceived. And she used it all because she didn't want to put a leash on her dog if a black man told her. And I just was like, this is insane. And I also sensed that, like, there was also this, like, way of using her voice. You know, we laugh and there's all these, like, memes about, like, white tears. Like, that's a thing. And people are like, who has time for this? But, like, what she did was where that meme comes from mm-hmm. and where that say Like, she literally mustered up. Yeah, she turned it on. Yeah, like, she she did this 100% knowledgeable about what's happening. So, yeah, I think, like, situation in Central Park coupled with George Floyd was a lot. It was a lot to see how these things can happen, how these things start. And I won't just say white because white supremacy doesn't just affect white people, right? It affects people who want to be in proximity to whiteness because it's perceived as the way to be successful. So those store clerks, who knows what kind of panic they called the police in? You know, I'm just trying to think about like, what were the events that led up to the police arriving and feeling like they needed to apply that level of force? And it's like, all of this was for... A $20 bill forgery? Like, that's enough to come four cops ready to take down this guy? So I think this, like, white innocence and, like, black guilt being the gold standard Mm -hmm. and how we operate and the insidiousness of that at every step of the way. And I think the other piece is, like, it's also just not just American. This is everywhere. But... In this country in particular, you know, a lot of people are like, why do I travel so much? Like, I'm always in Africa and I like unpack, like, why am I always there outside of I love it and I'm passionate about it and that's where my startup is based. It's also because it's the one place in the world where I get to just be 
it's not perfect. This shit that doesn't work. People get on my damn nerves. Like, it is not, like, Africa is not some panacea. I think a lot of people are like, oh, the motherland, and it's wonderful. It's not that. Like, it has its own things. But you know what it doesn't have? I don't have to worry about. Is something going to happen to me? Because I'm black. Mm -hmm. It's the one place where I never have to worry about it. And so for me, like, the word that's been coming to me, particularly this week, is this idea of being stateless and feeling like the expectations one has on country. You know, this idea that, like, if I go, quote unquote, home, I may not love it, but it's mine. You know, I, I may not be able to have the same opportunities, but it's mine. Like, or that your country should be there to protect and to serve you. Exactly. And just feeling like I don't have that. I don't even trust that if something went down and I was abroad, that America would even make sure I got back. Like, that's the level of, like, I don't trust it. I don't. And that is really rough on how one defines themselves, on how you see yourself in the world, how you settle mm -hmm. inside. It's a shit ton of background anxiety. Like, in a way, I can sort of, in a small sliver, empathize with this feeling because as an immigrant, this country doesn't care about me. <laughs> like, I live here knowing that something could go wrong and I might have to leave. I live here knowing that, like, it's my chosen place to be, but I don't feel like it's a home. Certainly not a place that cares about me. And that can be a lot of background anxiety. It was a lot more, of course, when I was going through immigration. Now it's less with a green card, but it's still always there in the back of my mind. But at least it's a choice, right? Exactly. So it's a choice that I decided to put on myself to have that. And I can only imagine what it must feel like to have that all the time when it's actually your own country. Right. Like I was talking to some folks and I was like, you know, the idea of like, what are you going to do? And there's definitely like, I'm actually just so tired that I want to leave. Like, I just don't want to be here. Like, I'm already in Africa half the time. Like, maybe it's time to check the deuces. But then I'm like, my ancestors built this country. Mm -hmm. All these privileges that people come to America for, my ancestors built it with their hands and their labor and their lives America would be nothing without slavery. Nothing. And everything we're seeing right now, like th this is a continuous path. I think a lot of people miss that. I think a lot of people miss the interconnectivity of our current society with how America started. Mm -hmm. We didn't get new money. Wealth in America was built from slavery, period. Not just in the South. You know, like... The prison system was built post-slavery because they were still trying to figure out free labor. The whole police yeah. state and the way our country is set up is not mutually exclusive. It's not something that happened four, 500 years ago. Like This is a continuous system depriving a certain people of basic fucking human rights. Like That's what it is. And until every person gets as wound up about that as they do for atrocities that aren't here, 
Like, we're just going to be fucking stuck, like, to be honest. Like, it's just like, I used to work in development. And I saw the amount of money people put up for inhumane conditions in faraway places. Those same people are not fixing the inhumane conditions in America. Yeah. It's really frustrating. And it's really sad. And I guess my question to you, like... You have so many, like, a really interesting perspective on this, right? So, like, you're in America by choice. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Still. <laughs> Though that runs through my head every day, like, why? <laughs> so that there's, like, a complexity there. And so I'm curious about your perspective. Like, when this goes down, what is your immediate reaction? Like, when you hear about this, how do you feel How do you talk about it? How do you feel about talking to me about it? Like, what is that like? Yeah, thanks for asking. I mean, like you, it's a mix of emotions, but the predominant emotion is just so much sadness. Because America is a great country in a lot of ways. There's a lot of really cool things here, like all of the things that your ancestors built. And there's a lot of reasons for somebody to want to come here. But there's also a lot of things that are awful and scare me every single day and scare me when I came here and still do. And the top two things are racism and gun control. And it's just so sad and so tragic to see this play out again and again and again, every single week. And it's also, um, It's a weird feeling living in a country that had a civil war. I've never lived in a country like that before. And it's something that I always have to remind myself of when I see racism. And I have to also remind myself that it was like not that long ago that things maybe started to get even just a tiny bit better. This stuff is so recent and so entrenched in the history. It's like... It's a constant, really ugly reminder, like almost every day that I chose to live in a place that has a really complicated history that I'm constantly trying to understand and wrap my head around and decide how I should be in it. Honestly, this specific situation, like if there's any like silver lining to this moment, at least for me, I found that I've had more conversations about what's going on and what's been going on with all sorts of people with a level of transparency that I've never had. I mean, I, I spoke to the um, some folks from the Accelerator program I went through two years ago. And they're like thinking about giving us grants and et cetera, et cetera. So we get on and the like, how are you question comes. And I just didn't lie. You're like... Exploding head emoji. No, fire head emoji. <laughs> right, right. Literally, <laughs> literally. Fire fire head emoji Imme- immediately. And so that for me, I don't know. Like, I've been trying to unpack that. Like, why is that? I even feel like the journalism, the tweets about it. Like, I feel something slightly different than I've seen before. Mm. And I've come to the conclusion, like, this is my own little bitty theory, And I'm curious what you think about it. So I have a theory about why we're seeing an outpouring of authentic solidarity 
And it's two parts. I think one, you know, the dirty like theme behind a lot of this stuff is there's a lot of, well, we don't know kind of thing that happens every time this, even, even with Ahmad Arbery, I do think like people weren't saying it out loud, but I think a lot mm-hmm. of times people get into this like, well, we don't know the whole story vibes, which is like kind of fucking ridiculous. But I think it's their way of like not dealing with it. Also with like Ahmed Arbery, I saw the conversation was more like hashtag this running thing that I did and like other stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't at the same level Mm-mm. that this is at, which is way more significant and serious and in solidarity, like you say. No, for sure. It feels more legit. And I think the fact that we all could see for eight minutes, it was so extreme in its demonstration of what this is. Like there was, there's no getting around it. So I think that's part of it. But I think the other part that's happening right now is that because of COVID, we are more vulnerable more transparent, and I think in some ways more empathetic simply because of the condition the whole world has been for the past three months, like between staying at home. And it's I think in the beginning, people were still like putting on their work outfit for Zoom meetings <laughs> or whatever. But now it's like, right, like it's me, my hoodie, you know, this ricotta cheese stain from my kid. Like we're just going to get involved. Like I think that's where people are. Well, and and people are like, this is how it's going to be for the rest of the year. Yeah. Nobody's planning to put back on their work outfit anytime saying like, my investor clothes have been at the back of the closet. I think you're really on to something. I was actually talking about this with a few friends today as well. And I think it also has to do with the fact that there's nothing to do right now. So you really have to sit with it. Mm. And you really have to sit with yourself. Mm. And that usually results in doing the work, which is what I'm seeing people do now. Some people do it for the first time or some people be more vocal about the work that they're already doing. Mm -hmm. But we all have to be our own company right now. And we have to enjoy being around that person. Mm. And I think that's just bringing into a lot of perspective and a lot of um, questions for folks that might have not been doing that in the past because there were other things to distract us with. That's real as fuck, Cam. I was thinking about this like an external thing, like, oh, we've got to have more empathy. Oh, we've got to be more supportive. Oh, we've got to pay attention. Use our but like the idea that the other part of this being COVID is that if you have half a brain cell, you've been more introspective now than you've probably ever been. Yeah. And so to have a moment like this and still be in that isolation, yeah, I hadn't even thought about it that way. I appreciate that. Like that. You're welcome. That's dope. I mean, this is a hi- just a hypothesis, but if it is happening, then like let it happen. This is what people need right now. And like I was texting with my sister just before we got on this and she was asking me about how it was in New York, which is where I'm at right now. And I was just like, you know, it's okay. Like this needs to happen. Well, it makes me think about when you and I first met. You and I met at Precursor Ventures, New York founder, uh, happy hour situation, which side note, Precursor posted the fucking most kick-ass VC post. Like, I literally read Charles's 
tweet and was just like, and this is why. So shout out to Charles Hudson per normal. But when we met, one of the things you and I were talking about, and I think it's literally why we bonded, we were talking about how it's so difficult to talk about racism and things regarding race in a genuine and authentic manner with people of opposite races. Mm-hmm. Like we we talked about how little that happens and all of the tightrope walking you do when you're trying to do it and how frustrating it is to feel like we know there's some like icky topics and some things that aren't comfortable, but how everyone always chooses the comfortable route. Like that's literally how you and I became friends. Yeah, I remember that. I mean, people avoid uncomfortable things and this is a hella uncomfortable thing. Yeah. But like, it is also a super important thing. It's why we're talking about it. Exactly. A lot of what we talked about that first night when we met and I kind of was like, I think this person's going to be my friend. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. (laughs) I I was like, I think I have a friend crush on (laughs) Sheree. No, we had, we both have friend crushes. (laughs) Little do we know here we would be casting in the middle of what the fuck America. Seriously. Um, So speaking of like conversations, um, for those of you just listening, we always do like a record scratch moment where we're like, yo, really? Like, what? (laughs) And like, what just happened? There were many, 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 many this week. I'll start off with one of them. And I'm actually just going to get right into it and read it. I think you have to read it because I think I need to like hear it like yet another time to try to make sense of this. Okay, here we go. (laughs) So the scheme of the world powers is to cause disunity in order to keep all societies under control. The killing of hashtag George Floyd was deeply disturbing and upsetting and is the result of the current world order, which we all must unite against. In quotations, Pull the trigger, kill a nigga, he's a hero. End quote. Now, the craziest part of this tweet is this is the former president of Iran that tweeted this. Yes, he tweeted, pull the trigger, kill a nigga, he's a hero. In tweet, in real life, (laughs) on Twitter. In 2020, this (laughs) week. I read that like five times and I still don't understand what he's trying to say. And I'm just like... It seems like a drunk treat. Like, it doesn't even make any sense. I mean, there's so many levels of wrong, but it's also the fact that it doesn't make sense. I'm just so confused. When I first read it, I was like, well, damn. I mean, I've been in a lot of side conversations like, yo, how can we get these African presidents to, like, say something about this? So there was a part of me that was like, well, look at him saying something and then I was like but why you had to put the Tupac rap at the end and why didn't you use the little stars for the G's like like why are you it's such a mess like he went on he went on genius (laughs) (laughs) I mean it looks kind of like fake news oh my god so that was wild my sister sent it to me and she was like I don't know if this is fake news so I had to Google it. Doesn't he have a comms person? Until you see it's on his actual verified Twitter, on his account, his profile, verified check. My thing is, I don't think he listened to Tupac. So the comms person probably wrote it. They're probably, you know, it's really going to show with the people. Put Tupac at the end. Like, what? <laughs> I want Trevor Noah to do a skit about it because it's that, like, it's that, like, 
who told him to do this? And then what kills me is he didn't even cite Tupac. He just like assumes that you know that lyric. Which is also a lot of levels. Like who are your followers, bruh? <laughs> that you are at the level that you just gonna quote Tupac, say nigga, and not even, you know, give the citation. There's so many levels with this tweet. Like I don't even understand. But he's not the most horrible person tweeting at the moment. No, definitely not. Because there was a worse record scratch tweet this week from, uh, you know who. Our one and only. Yep. President Donald J. Trump. Yep. You know, I'm starting to get a little bit nervous about the fall. Like, it just kind of, like, hit me that, like, oh, it's summer now and fall comes soon and, like, elections. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's interesting. One, I was happy that Twitter, and you know I'm partial to Jack, but I was happy to see that they finally, like, got off the pot. Me too. That was one of the best things I saw this week. And I, it was so well done that I didn't see the tweet at first until people were pointing out the design. And and it was really well executed. Um, mm. Like, hats off to that whole team. And, like, mm-hmm. having been a former Twitter employee and also um, my heart's with Jack, I know how difficult it is to do that kind of stuff there. Like, it's really complicated. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things going on. And they did a good job of that one. Mm-hmm. I think the only thing I would have potentially added to it if I was doing, like, a design crit is... yeah. The fact that it mentioned violence as the main reason for hiding it, I thought was correct, but it could have also added racism. Mm. I kind of mm. wondered if I was looking at that and I was like, hmm, I wonder if that's like a V2 feature. <laughs> right. Can we have more than one reason why this shit is problematic <laughs> and you shouldn't see it? Like, <laughs> But it was really, it was like a huge step up. Yeah, it was. I was happy about that. So one of the things that I've been trying to unpack. So we're both running businesses, early stage uh, companies. Mm -hmm. I'm in a situation where what's going on directly affects the community of users we have, right? So like, even if I wasn't how I am, I would have to be addressing this. And we've had some really beautiful moments as a company in this situation. I mean, one of our hosts that usually hosts the tours and experiences we do, we did a virtual experience on uh, Saturday and he did like a studio visit, but then he did a live illustration and he's based in Ghana. He did a live illustration of George Floyd, but we didn't like tell anybody what he was oh, cool. going to draw. Like I knew, but I was like in full on tears by the end of it. And I was like, mm. I was playing Fela Kuti on Instagram live. And then he was, you know, coming in from Ghana and that was really powerful and You know, we've been having some really interesting conversations with our community, Mm. which is funny considering like the pivot we just made. For those of you listening, like Tastemakers is a travel startup that's now pivoted and really leaned into our community. And it's kind of like in many ways, this is what we would have had to do Mm -hmm. if not for COVID, we'd have had to do it now. So just interesting how these things happening. But what does that look like for you? Like in a business that requires so many things, like what are you seeing on trash? Like how are you... How is this going? Yeah, it's a great question. I feel slightly unprepared for it because I was literally had an agenda item to talk to my team about it tomorrow morning. Look at that. <laughs> Look at that. You see? You see? But I was flipping through the videos in the channels this weekend and keeping my eye out for protest-related videos. Mm-hmm. And 
I saw some. They were not like an overwhelming amount, mm-hmm. um, but there was definitely some. And it was enough to make me wonder, should we have a protest channel right now? Like, mm. is that a thing we should be doing? Or should we just be talking to the members of the community and asking them what they would like to see in the app? Like, mm. for me, it's about asking questions right now, mm-hmm. because I think what I'm seeing is like, there's some brands that have done some cool stuff. Um, like one of my friends uh, in LA, he was doing this like teardown of different sneaker companies and their response to this on mm. his Instagram stories because he's like a huge sneakerhead. And like Reebok said some pretty dope shit this mm-hmm. week. And like Adidas definitely did not, <laughs> was my takeaway from those stories. But you know what Adidas did? Adidas reposted Nikes. Oh. Which I thought was super powerful. That's interesting. Because they're like, arch enemy rival shoe company. So Nike did this dope ass. It was like, justice once, don't Hmm. do it. And it was about racism and about police brutality. And Adidas re-shared Nike's video. That's cool. Maybe that's because they couldn't come up with something good enough before. (laughs) I don't know. I'm not sure what order of events these happened in. I don't follow the Adidas account. I'm like not shaming them. Um, I do have some clothes from them. But yeah, he was just doing this teardown. And I I thought like the thing that kind of flashed through my mind was like, obviously, the more you're in the spotlight, the bigger the brand you are, the more you need to be considering this right now. Mm -hmm. Um, We're a tiny brand that most people don't know about yet. So we're less in the spotlight. But I do think it's about asking questions. And it comes back to... What I asked you at the top of recording today, which was like, what do you want? Mm -hmm. Because I think the worst thing that a leader can do right now, especially a white leader, is to make an assumption. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I also think one thing I'm really happy to hear you say is like, for trash to make a statement or to build a feature or to launch a channel even, like because you are less known, right? You saying something is really about the values of your company. Yep, totally. Right? Like, so it's not even about like, oh, we have to say something. It's like, Mm -hmm. are you going to choose to say something? Mm -hmm. And I think it also says a lot about who you're aligning with in terms Mm -hmm. of your early community members. And Mm -hmm. our community is very diverse. So asking the questions is, I think, what people should be doing right now if you're running your own companies. I love that too. I think something else you and I talked, um, spoke about, I should say, is like this idea of the word ally and if that's like a thing we're even into. Yeah, I don't love it because it doesn't sound active. It sounds Mm. like kind of a passive word to me. Mm -hmm. In the same way, I guess, that when I hear people saying like, oh, I support women, it's not the same thing as saying I'm a feminist. Like when mm-hmm. you hear a man say I'm a feminist, it's like, oh, you've really internalized that. Like that is inside of you now. Yeah. I think there's just something about that word that sounds a little bit insipid to me. Like I want a better, more active, more internalized sounding version of that word. I really like that. And it actually, a lot of times when we're talking about issues of race and racism, We're obviously talking to black and brown people about their word choices and preferences and things like that. But your conversation around the word ally also helped me think about, like, how do I talk to my white colleagues, friends? And I'll extend that to just non-black, right? Because there's levels. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to recognize that. 
but how do I talk to them about their support and about their solidarity? And what are the labels I'm using to describe their interactions, care, empathy, support, alignment, like whatever the word is, and how am I asking questions about that? But at the same time, it's kind of like, I'll call myself whatever you want to call it. You know, like, Mm. this isn't about me. And so, yes, language, like, I'm kind of a nerd. I like language. I think that words carry so much meaning. The word choices we have are important. And I nerd out about this stuff at a level that maybe other people might not. But it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Like, if that's the best word. Mm, I feel you. I'm not here to take up space about that. Yeah, but I I think... For me, the beautiful thing about this moment we're in, if you can find any beauty in it, is just the words. I mean, obviously, we talked about Precursor earlier, but I even think about our investors at Flybridge. Like, Flybridge is four white dudes, like, from a firm that started in Boston. But they've been incredible. They've been so incredible about just checking in, not overstepping. Like, that's been pretty dope. And so I'm I'm also trying to be more conscious about what I share, what I say, how I think about it. And conscious doesn't mean guarded. Mm. You know, we were talking about earlier what COVID has changed. And I think part of that change is what you said. The other part of that change is, like, I think people affected by this are showing a lot less restraint in admitting it, whether it's to each other to their coworkers. I think people are less willing to to answer the how are you with the I'm fine. I think people are like, actually, I'm angry. I'm hurt. I'm frustrated. I'm sad. I'm disappointed. I'm whatever. That's what the shift is. Like, that's why I think this is an interesting time. On the topic of change, what's been happening in your world in culture this week? I know you said you were listening to some inspiring things. Well, yeah. I mean, part of it is I've been listening to a lot of like, quite frankly, like protest music. Everything from Fela Kuti to Stevie Wonder to Mahalia Jackson to James Brown to Harry Belafonte and Nina Simone and Miriam Makiba. Like, yeah, I've just been listening to a lot of that. And then even today, Kirk Franklin and I think Fred Hammond, so two huge gospel stars, did a Versus, and it was called The Healing. Mm-hmm. And that was really special, but also in some ways hilarious because Kirk Franklin's like this, like, he's super over the top. Bishop T.D. Jakes opened it and had a really interesting ensemble and like these sunglasses on inside. Like, so part of it... I was happy to like have a moment to like kind of crack up at like these over the top gospel and church people. But once the music sort of happened, I was really happy that they used that platform for something that sort of spoke to the soul. Mm. So for me, that was like my moment in pop culture, my moment in just like getting a different type of information you know Mm -hmm. what I mean like music as information music as healing music as comfort but yeah so that that was like my break and my like switch up how about you I've just been like non-stop these past I don't even know like 14 days now I've had like a lot going on so I'm kind of 
behind on my usual music discovery. Mm -hmm. Though I did decide to start making a playlist again in May, which used to be my thing. I was making a playlist every month and my jam with the playlist is it has to be at least 50% people who identify as women because super underrepresented in music still. Mm, I like that. And um, I like went back to it this month and it felt really good. And um, I just realized how much I missed crate digging and finding new tunes. Mm. The other thing that has been giving me a lot of life in culture recently is um, my neighborhood in Brooklyn got this you know, this really cool thing going on at 7 p.m. like many neighborhoods in New York where they start banging on pots and pans and shouting and clapping and celebrating for getting through another day of this bullshit. Mm -hmm. But in the last few days, it just feels like it's taken on almost a different meaning. Mm. Like it's not just that we're getting through this pandemic it's more than that and in fact it seems like it's actually been louder <laughs> the last few wow. days <laughs> and there's more music and more car horns and more everything happening and I really appreciate it like some days I'll join in if I'm not on a call I love it I love both of those one is like going back to something that you were doing before but also appreciating in many ways like the music outside your window literally what it is i'm in like southeast williamsburg which is a really like puerto rican and dominican community i love it so there is like some sick beats out the window sure. every day sometimes i just want to leave shazam on auto because i discover <laughs> so much cool music from my neighborhood I it kind of owns out there <laughs> i like it they need to do a big ass block party social distance style but um i know you guys have been listening to us for a while this episode but as you can imagine there's a lot to say and a lot to talk about and if we had to like boil down what we want you to take away from this conversation I think one of this is like this isn't like a black issue it's an all of us issue mm -hmm. and I think until that fundamentally changes like we're going to continue to be in this problematic state of our country like there's no getting around this until it goes beyond checking on your black friends to like not being okay yourself with the way this mm -hmm. is. So that's, I, that's one for me. How about you, Ham? And also I want to add to that when you say it's an everyone issue, it's also like not just an American issue. This is a global issue. Mm -hmm. Like you pointed out earlier in this episode, this is prevalent all over the world, but if you're listening from a country that's not America, or if you're a non-American, I urge you to find a way to support and donate because at the end of the day, this is about equality. Period. Period. This is about human equality. What is happening right now in the US is relevant to everybody. Mm -hmm. I think on the second point, some potential resources, if you're not sure how to discuss this or not sure how to lean into the conversation or want to learn more, and hopefully what we've been doing today can inspire you a bit to have these conversations with your friends, too, because it helps to talk about it. Um, I was going to suggest the Me and White Supremacy book is an excellent read. If you want like a quick version of it, there's a YouTube video of the author giving a talk at the Strand Bookstore in New York that's really great. And it's like, I don't know, like an hour long. Great listen. What would you suggest as a resource, Trey? Um watch the movie 13th. I think a lot of people get lulled into the idea that this is some new thing. And this has been happening since 
you know, Africans arrived in America. I think Ava DuVernay's 13th does such an amazing job of not only tracing some of the history of race-based discrimination in the United States, but it also shows the beginnings of the really shitty relationship that Black people have with the police. It's an important watch. And we'll also post a list of resources for folks on our Twitter and our Instagram. Um, I think another thing, and, and it really, Han, you, this episode really took this home from me, is this idea of asking better questions and just asking questions. I think we use the word solidarity a lot and we use the word ally, but I think something I learned from you in this episode is like one of the amazing ways you can be supportive as a non-Black person trying to, you know, show support or alignment or love and empathy or whatever is to ask questions and to ask good ones beyond how are you, I thought was a great suggestion. Thank you. So another thing that I think I hope people do, um, especially you guys listening to us, is like COVID-19 was already an unprecedented time, but it did give us some beautiful things for all of humanity, which is greater transparency and vulnerability, a greater willingness to sort of show your whole self in the virtual environments you have to engage in to sort of continue on. And I think part of our belief is like lean into that and apply it to this situation, being honest about how you feel and being a person that has these conversations within your communities, your colleagues, your families, Um, And then the final, I guess, takeaway is really just to lean into your own communities, which is just building on that. I was reading something today about like white people don't like each other, which I thought was a really funny opener to an audience. But what they were saying is like the people who are progressive in their families or maybe have shed some things like are less comfortable talking to members of their family that are bigoted. And, you know, the same thing happens at work. Like you might see something or, you know, somebody's saying something that's like not okay, but like you avoid it because you don't need, you are just so repelled by it. And so it was like this idea of like holding your nose while you do it kind of thing. And I think no matter where you are in our community, like I'm having conversations within my community about things that are like, what the F that we're doing? And it's like, hold your nose and have the conversation that's uncomfortable Mm -hmm. within your community. You know, white people should be talking about this even when no black people are around. Yeah, I did that the other day. I saw someone like an old friend that I hadn't talked to in a really long time, like a university friend, post something on Twitter that was just like a little bit off. Mm -hmm. And I like DM'd him about it. And the result was he changed the caption on his photo. And I was like, that was uncomfortable, but I'm glad I did that. Yeah, it's this like across and within thing like that's what we need to do i mean we just did it for an hour i feel like (laughs) okay so let's take this home as you know if you've been listening before you can find us on the internet at got real pod on instagram as well as twitter and you can leave us a message and talk to us we'd love to hear from you and hear your feedback on this especially and last but not least Many thanks to Sam, our incredible producer, and Yuri, who does the music for the show. Yes. Check us out every Thursday on the place you listen to all the things. It just got real. <laughs> <laughs>